Father, we thank you for your redeeming love. God, your love has rescued us, and I pray that that would resonate within our spirits this morning. God, as you just remind us of the price you paid for us, God, we love you. We thank you for joining us, and we pray that you were honored in our worship as we sing. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you have to say to us through your word this morning. God, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. So in the month of December, we have our World Christmas Giving offering, and you'll see the uh, little uh, sign up there on the, on the screen. These are the different goals that we have for each of our mission opportunities that we're involved with. You can see one new one, the church uh, plant in Vancouver, Canada. We're trying to raise 4200 to help them uh, by a, I think they need a, a copier and a couple of things to help them uh, share the gospel up there in Vancouver. You see the Young Life for a thousand, uh, International Mission Board for three thousand. You can see our Cambodian needs sixteen, Peru six, and Portugal three in there. And so the goal is thirty-five thousand for World Christmas offering for December. And so please pray about what you and your family would. Uh, but do a good thing to do is kind of consider how much you spend on Christmas gifts and ask the Lord what you should spend on this, you know, and uh, Christmas is a wonderful time for us to show that we are loved by God and we love others and to help different ministries across the world do what um, we try to do here in Parker County. All right. So today the message is on the miracle of unbelief, of, of belief. The miracle of belief. Basically, the theme of today's lesson from Matthew chapter 11 is, belief is a miracle. If you believe you have experienced a miracle, and you need, need to not take that for granted, don't explain away your belief. Too many times we explain away our belief. Someone says to us, Tell me, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, but I was raised in a Christian family and I went to church all my life. And so it was just a natural thing. Believing in Jesus is not a natural thing. And if, if you've been raised in the church, if you've been going to church since you was a little baby, if you have made all the nursery classes and all the elementary school classes and the junior high and high school and college and and, and here you are an adult today and you think about your salvation and you think, well, my mom and dad were believers and so naturally I became a believer. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. I remember in a class, in my preaching class in, uh, at Southwestern with Dr. Scott Tatum in 1983, seems like uh, just yesterday, my how time is gone. And he asked the question, how many of you in here in this class were raised in a Christian home and you've gone to church your life, oh, your whole life. Now, there was about 40 guys in that class, 40 people in that class. And out of the 40, only two raised their hands. And, and I was shocked with that. I, I just assumed that all these guys went to church all their life. All these guys were raised in a Christian home, but only two raised their hand that that was their situation. And Dr. Tatum went on to say, you know, we have been, we've been seeing this slowly happen as the years have gone by. 
He said, it used to be years ago, everyone in the preaching class were raised in church. Their, their parents were Christians, but as the years gone by, we have seen a real shift in that. He didn't give any explanation for that. He didn't say why that's happening. I don't have any explanation for that. I don't know why that's happening. But the thing that I always remember from that is this idea, this truth, I believe, that faith, belief is a miracle. I've always thought that my salvation was a miracle because of how it happened. And, and, and that's one of the natural things that happened. When, if you visit with Susan about her salvation experience, she's, you know, she's, it's, it's difficult to talk about the miracle part because she was raised with Christian parents. She was raised in a Christian home. And it was a natural transition for her to believe in Christ. And, 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 but if you're in that situation, I want you to take away from this today that it is absolutely a miracle if you believe. I don't care if you go to church all your life. I don't care if you're raised by Christian parents. I don't care if you are saturated with the Christian witness of godly people all your life. It is still a miracle if you believe. It's still a miracle. Just like those who didn't have any of those benefits when they were raised. It, miracle is absolutely the same. Matthew 11, let's just walk through this very quickly. Number one, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Poor John the Baptist in prison, certain his life was short. He had his belief attacked. He wondered. Now, this is the mindset, I think, of this question. How in the world could this be the Christ if I'm in jail? How could that be? I'm John the Baptist. I was given a special calling to make straight the way of the Lord. If, if this has happened to me, then how in the world could that be the Christ? Are you the Christ or should I look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Faith is always attacked. Belief is always attacked. People are offended naturally by Jesus. He offends people. The only one. The Son of God. The only one whose sacrifice appeases the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus offends people. It's... It, Faith, belief is attacked. As they went away, Jesus began to the, speak to the crowds concerning John. Listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking by the wind? And what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. 
When did you, what did you then go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has risen, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Great attack on belief. Great attack on belief. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The teaching that we have here of John the Baptist, one of those is faith is attacked. John the Baptist, who Jesus said, the greatest who've ever lived, had a great assignment, great responsibility. He had great faith, but his faith is attacked when he's in prison. Belief is always attacked. And so we have to recognize that belief is questioned in hard times. Belief is questioned in difficult days. Belief is always at a, the target of question. It's attacked. And so if you believe, it's a miracle. Second point, look in verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Great effort was put into people believing. Great effort. Great sacrifice was put into people believing. But Jesus says this generation is just like on the playground. The playmates play a flute and you don't dance. The playmates sing a dirge and you don't mourn. No response. No matter how much the effort is, no matter how much the conviction is, and no matter how much the resolve is, there's lack of response. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say... He has a demon. And so John the Baptist, how did they judge John the Baptist? They judged him as someone controlled by a demon. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He baptized. He spoke truth about the son that was about to come. The Messiah that was about to come. And he preached that he, John the Baptist, was not worthy to untie the sandals of the one to come. John the Baptist understood he baptized with water and Jesus would come and baptize by fire. John the Baptist wasn't the one and he decreased so that Jesus would increase. And they call him someone who was possessed by a demon. It says in verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was, was called on as one that partied too much. 
He ate too much and he drank too much. That's what they said about him. Don't listen to him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what was said about Jesus. So can you imagine a time when people said about John the Baptist, he has a demon, and people said about Jesus, he's no good. He's a glutton, a tax collector, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nothing worse than a tax collector. Nothing worse than a sinner. And he's friends with them. But Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her deeds. The work of Jesus Christ in the world on the cross at the right hand of the Father justifies Him. He is the Lord of all. And so we see here in these Scriptures Unbelief happened even with great effort and unbelief happened because of such a mischaracterization of two of the greatest people that's ever lived. John the Baptist and Jesus, who is Jesus the man and Jesus the Son of God, Jesus God. Jesus, as we sang a while ago, the King. But unbelief happened. Today and then, the hardest people to reach for Jesus, the people that won't dance and the people that won't mourn when a dirge is sang are the wealthy, and we know that from Luke 18, the words of Jesus about the rich young ruler. It's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It is so hard, it's as hard as a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Camel, huge, eye of the needle, small. It's impossible. Only without God, only with God can it happen. And then in Matthew 9, we know the moral slash religious people are hard to come to faith in Christ, are hard to believe in Christ. Matthew 9, Jesus said, I've come for those not who don't think they have any problems, but I've come for those who recognize they need a doctor. And so those who are moral, those who are steeped in religion are difficult to come to faith. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we know that those who are educated, those who consider themselves to be wise, are very hard to come to belief. And, and, and Jesus was surrounded by these three kinds of people. Among the establishment, among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, among the rabbis, they were the wealthy, they were the moral, good people perhaps, and they were the educated ones. They were the educated ones. We are surrounded by the three hardest kinds of people to reach for Christ. And many of the people that you're good friends with, many of the people that you know well from the ball teams and school functions and workplaces are wealthy people. And most of the people that live around us are in the 1% of the world's population of wealth. Matter of fact, most likely we're all in it because it doesn't take a whole lot of money from that perspective to be considered in the 1% of the most wealthy in the world. We have so much. There's education. The demographics say that very few don't have a higher education. And there is morality. Good people. 
People of morals, people of values, people with convictions. Now, there may be some real differences along the way, but basically compared to, to the world, we would have to say they're people of values. They're the hardest people to reach. You see it all the time. Something may take place in a family. One of the children starts coming to church or there's something that happens to place and there's a little activity for a while, but, but, but there's never belief. There's never a surrender to Christ. There's never a, a, a coming to terms with He's the King. And so, since that is true, the three hardest people to reach are the wealthy, the moral, and the educated. If you are one or all three, or two of the three, or three of three, amazing that you believe. Amazing that you believe. Don't take your, your belief for granted. Be thankful for your belief. Because it's a miracle. It's a work of God. It's something that only God could do. And then we see in verses 20 through 25, 24 rather, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He denounces Chorazin. He denounces Bethesda. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, it's important to understand, Chorazin and Bethesda are Jewish villages. Tyre and Sidon are Gentile villages. And so he is telling those who ought to believe, who have seen the miracles, who have seen the things that only God can do. He says to them, you of all people ought to believe, but you don't. You didn't repent when the miracles were done before you. You have been educated all your life about the coming Messiah, and here I am being the Messiah, and you don't believe in what you see. It says that I tell you it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you Capernaum Capernaum, right along the Sea of Galilee, Chorazin and Bethesda, right on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum, the headquarters of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. There's every indication that Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum. There's, there's every indication that Jesus stayed in that house, as we know the story that Jesus walked into Capernaum time and time and time again and did miracles in Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. Now they all know about the ill ways of Sodom. Destroyed by fire. It would have remained until this day. Wow. 
But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, what I believe Jesus is telling us today is those that ought to believe don't. Now, you put that into the, to the relationship here of what we're, we're talking about here. They didn't believe it is an absolute miracle that you believe. They saw the miracles. Now, we have not seen the miracles day in and day out like they did. We have only seen the miracle of the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sins. The pulling of the Holy Spirit. The wooing of the Holy Spirit for us to believe. And we hear that still small voice that says, it is true, it is true about Jesus, it is true. Miracle. Miracle. An absolute miracle that we have. And then we have here Jesus' great invitation to believe. And when you read this invitation and discover what Jesus is like, when you were, if you were around and you heard this in first person, you were there, when Jesus spoke these words, there is no reason that it doesn't melt hearts. The people were just burdened, overwhelmed with religion. Being a Jewish person in those days was very taxing on them. It was nothing but a burden. And Jesus came and spoke the truth. And because He's the Messiah, He sets them free from all that burden, all that extra weight that they were carrying around to keep all the laws. And they couldn't keep all the laws. And so they remained either secretly frustrated or openly frustrated. And they were trapped in their heritage. They were trapped in their parents' beliefs, in their grandparents' beliefs, in the beliefs of all the people. You don't defy tradition. You don't talk about things as they could be wrong in that tradition. You don't revolt from the way your parents want you to dress and the way the parents want you to behave and who your parents want you to marry and how your parents want you to be involved in this work and that work. You see, for the Jewish person, if their dad was a farmer, they were a farmer. If their dad worked in diamonds, they worked in diamonds. If their dad was a cobbler, they became a cobbler. If their dad was a butcher, they became a butcher. It's just the way life was. And to fight against that, you were just, just surrounded with great pressure to conform. To conform, which is a very interesting thing in Romans 12, when Paul says, don't conform to the world, transform to the image of Christ. But they had to conform to the way things were. So it's like having a hundred pound cement bag on your back walking around. It's a terrible burden. Now, self-righteousness is a terrible burden. Terrible burden. Morality is a terrible burden. Are you right with God? You might be asked. Do you know for sure that when you die that you're going to go to heaven? You might be asked. Do you know that you're a Christian? Do you know that you have eternal life? You might be asked. And when you're asked that, and the people around us are asked that, they says, I'm just as good as anybody at the church. That's a horrible burden to be under. When they go to bed at night, all they know about is their sins that they think nobody knows about. 
Horrible, horrible pressure. Self-righteousness is a horrible thing. And if you're trusting in your own righteousness as the door into heaven for you, that's a great burden on you. And so to all those who have great burden, who have great pressure, who are struggling with morality, who are struggling with measuring up, who are struggling with unforgiven sin. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He says to them, to those who consider themselves to be wise and consider themselves to have great understanding, the truth of who Jesus is has been hidden. And Jesus says, I thank the Lord that this is true. And what he's thanking the Lord for is that the truth of who Jesus is is revealed to little children. To little children. Little children are dependent. Little children are open. Little children haven't been soured by the things of the world. Little children don't question everything to death. Little children are more likely to believe than their parents. Right here and now, it is, it is statistically true that a child is more likely to come to Christ than their parents are likely to come to Christ. And we think it's just reasonable. It's just the way things are. And it's, that's, it's not that whatsoever. The truth of it is, is because knowing the condition of their heart, knowing who they are, knowing how they're wired, God, by His infinite wisdom, chooses not to reveal the Son to the adults and reveal it to the children because He knows their heart. That's why for years, churches just like ours put so much emphasis on children ministry and youth ministry. Because we all understand, either through just looking at the statistics or the revealing of the Father to us, that our best chance of seeing people believe is when they are young. That's our opportunity. That's our chance. And one of the things that we struggle with is children and youth that take on the belief of their parents rather than their own personal belief in Christ. And I rejoice all heaven sometimes when a college kid calls or Facebooks me or even drops by and says, Brother Lee, I just want you to know that when I came to church there, I went to church because my mom and dad maybe I went to church there because they were involved. And, and I really never found faith, but now in that big worship service at A&M or, or the big worship service at Tech or wherever they've gone, I now believe in Christ. It's my faith. Now, the truth of the matter is, probably it was their faith back then, but as they've been discipled and they grow in awareness and understanding of Jesus, now it has become their faith. So if you believe, don't take it for granted. If you believe, it's a miracle that you believe. And if you came to faith in Christ as an adult, it's a double miracle. 
It's an unbelievable miracle. You are a walking miracle if you're a child of God and you came to Christ later in life. Jesus says here, it's hidden from those who have a hard heart. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. That's what Jesus says. It's a gracious will for this. Now, you have to accept that by faith. You have to accept that by belief because understanding that from human reason is going to say, how could that be His gracious will? That some are kept away, some it's, it's hidden from. It's His gracious will. It's His design. It's His plan. Now, one of the only things that I can come to terms with about why this reveals His gracious will is if you believe it helps you understand how special that is. And it ought to ignite your fire in Christ. It ought to cause you not to be lukewarm about belief. It ought to cause you to not be lollygagging about your commitment to Christ. When you come to worship God, it ought to be, it's on, baby. Because I believe, and it's a miracle that I believe. It's not reason. It's not that I was raised in a church. It's not that I was raised by Christian parents. It was not just that I'm a smart person and I came to terms with who Jesus is. Absolutely no way. It's a, it's a, it's a bona fide miracle if you believe. Amen. It ought to excite you. It ought to turn you around. It ought to cause you when you go to work tomorrow and if the stock market falls and the job closes down because you believe there's still reason to live and rejoice and have hallelujah. Because it was no small thing that you came to faith. Think about all the families you know of people, of kids that were raised in the church, that were raised by spirit-led parents fruit-producing parents, and they got a kid or two that don't believe in Jesus. They're mad about how they were raised. They're mad about Jesus. They're literally offended by Jesus. Just don't take it for granted if your kids believe and are serving Jesus today. It's a miracle. Work hard as a mom and dad in Christ. Teach them all the right things, but pray that the Holy Spirit will be working. Pray. They've got to see the Holy Spirit work in you. If they don't see the Holy Spirit work in you, the, 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 most likely they're not going to investigate the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father. I don't take Jesus for, Jesus for granted or lightly. All things have been handed over to Him by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now listen to this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's crazy not to receive that, isn't it? 
It's crazy to understand, to hear these words. Even the possibility, I may not be sure about Jesus, and I may not be sure about these words, but by George, I'm jumping in on that. I'm going to give that a whirl. I'm going to give that a try. Come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Puts that scripture in a different context when you look at the whole chapter, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how people can hear those words and not believe? That's an amazing thing. That's a power. Unbelief is powerful. few closing thoughts. We can try every method as a church. We can try every new method that comes along. We can put great sweat, resources, toil into our presentation. And we can do all things for the glory of God. Yet, most will not believe. Most will not believe. People will see miracles. They will hear testimony of miracles. They will hear your testimony of miracles. They will hear your testimonies of a changed life. By reason, they ought to believe because of your testimony about Christ. Yet, they're offended by Jesus and they will not believe. People all around us are masters of excuses. We are surrounded by people that heard the flute played and didn't dance, that heard the dirge sung and didn't mourn. We're surrounded by good moral people, and that keeps them from believing. By educated people, and that keeps them from believing. No reasonable person can come to faith in Jesus. From my perspective, no reasonable person can stay away from Jesus. I see Him in the creation. I see Him in problems and troubles and trials. I see Him when people are having a hard time. I see Him. I hear Him. I feel Him. In my life, a guy that wasn't raised in church that at that time wasn't raised by active Christian parents. I burn inside for the Word of God. I burn inside. This morning, my alarm clock went off at 5.30 and I couldn't wait to put on my little sweatpants and my little shirt and get out of my back porch and get into it. I couldn't wait. I go to the john, I go to the coffee maker, I get all that going, I hit the porch. It was cold out there. I got to turn my little burner on. Explain that. Explain that change. Explain that, you know, I didn't go to Texas because I couldn't get in. Y'all know that, right? You figured that out. You know, you can get an angel state pretty easy. Just go on down there. I'm not a bookworm. I mean, I'm not naturally thought about doing all this stuff. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in me because I believed and I'm still not over the fact that I believe. 
And if you believe, I don't think you can ever get over the fact that you believe. And when I look at this scripture, I mean, my gosh, you believe. There's hope. There's possibility. There's abundant life for you. Get on with it. Live it. Celebrate your life in Christ. Don't walk around feeling sorry for yourself. Don't walk around being offended by Jesus. That's what you've got. You've got a heavy burden. Give it to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Don't hold on to your wealth is, is all of that that matters. Don't just go around thinking about your morality. It's empty. Self-righteous doesn't add up. Let go of that education pride and come to Jesus. Understand the miracle of belief. And if inside of you today, there is more want to believe than has ever been, that's not you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. Thank you. The last thing here. The invitation of Jesus should melt every heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Now, I know the message today probably sounds very pessimistic. But the intention is that it's full of optimism. Most will not believe. Most are full of excuses. Most are holding on to their wealth, their morality, and their education all around us. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and if you have a relation with Him today, it is a miracle. Absolute miracle. You're one of the few who will believe. Jesus says the road to destruction is wide and many find it. The road to life is narrow and few find it. Jesus told us, more unbelievers than believers. And so if you believe today, it's a miracle. Be thankful that you believe. Don't take your belief for granted. Shout hallelujah that you believe. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ushers, come forward.